0: You're listening to Reading Glasses, a show about
1: book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm writer, filmmaker, and book devourer Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, actress, filmmaker, and e-reader. This episode, we're talking about book covers and interviewing creative director Lauren Panapinto. But first... What are you reading, Bria? I am reading a book of short stories by Hugh Howey called Machine Learning. Ooh, is that new? It's brand new. It came out, like, in October, oh, which wow. the fact that I got it so quickly was very exciting yeah. for me. Yeah, who'd, I was you, on who'd the wait- you stab at the library? I was on the wait list before it came out at the library. Nice. <laughs> I was like, because, oh, because this is a new thing with Overdrive. People may have noticed that now you can get, put the book on your hold list before the book comes out, which used to you couldn't Oh, so do. you can pre-hold. You can pre-hold. But... It means it is taking up a spot on your precious holds list, you know, because you're only allowed wow. a certain number of those, which is not very many. It's, it's. I mean, it's a lot probably for the the library. You know, I don't want to diss the library, but I would love to hold hold a lot more books than I do hold currently that I have on hold. Um, but yeah, so I got it really quickly. But Hugh Howey did a book called He did the Silo series, book. Wool. Yeah, Wool, which I really liked. But the whole series, I think they call the Silo series now not really sure but this is just a book of short stories it's supposed to have a couple of silo based stories in it i have not gotten to those yet so far i've read one about mountain climbing in an alien situation and also in an alien situation and also another alien based short story but you know i was really needing something that wasn't a book i felt like i had just read it wasn't a book (laughs) it's still a book i i bought fifteen (laughs) thousand cereal boxes and lined them all up (laughs) I needed a – it's a good break for me because I wanted some short stuff because I'm working on a lot of different projects yeah, like in my, right. in my professional life right now. So I need something I could absorb and then walk away from instead of just like a long, drawn-out story. So, yeah, it's been really good so far, and I think it's the perfect thing for me, and I love, I, I love Hugh Howe. Actually, he wrote another book called Sand that I really liked too sweet. He likes texture books. He likes texture books, and also he's just a big sci-fi guy, which, you know, I'm a big fan of. Mm -hmm. What are you reading, Mallory? I'm reading a book called The Electric Michelangelo by Sarah Hall, which is uh, very Mallory Wheelhouse-y.
0: It's about a tattoo artist and Coney Island in between the two world wars. Oh. Um, And listeners might not know because you can't see me, but I'm very tattooed, and I'm very into tattoos, and I'm also really into Coney Island and, like, carnivals and stuff, so I'm really excited about this book. I just started it but it's really great so far and the writing is really cool awesome We want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. Kimberly wrote in about our book club episode. I started a book club with my friends back in 2014, and I'm happy to say it's still going strong. Yay! I I started it by asking on my Facebook feed if anyone would be interested if I set one up. Soon we had a group of about 10 people who met once a month in local cafes, and we each took turns to pick a book. Initially, I was the common denominator in this group of people, some of whom knew each other and some of whom didn't, but everyone got along well and new friendships grew in this group. We always joke that our meetings are half book discussion, half feminist rant. This is partly because we often choose books by female writers who deal with topics relevant to our lives and interests, but also because we have found our book club is a safe space to discuss any experiences or thoughts we may have. We talk about feminism, LGBTQI issues, our bodies, our jobs, our families, current events. We we provide each other with support and learn from each other. Book club keeps us sane and gives us hope that the world isn't actually the terrible dumpster fire that it seems. Aww, Yay. that's such a positive
1: positive thing. Ooh, and we have some hot follow-up. Speaking of Bria and library e-books, <laughs> yeah, so. My- Martha wrote back. Martha originally wrote us about the library. High five to Martha. Because she was in charge of the e-book collection. Let's, let's yes. remember that. She wrote back and said, <laughs> Bria... You're not screwing the LAPL. Seriously, keep checking out books. As I mentioned in my letter, I manage the ebook collection for my library, and I have several Bria's who use the collection, and I never, ever think that their usage is problematic. In fact, it's a good thing, because when budget time comes around, I can go to my director and say, look, I'm getting 40 to 50 title requests each month. The average time on the hold list is 30 days, and circulation is increasing. $1,000 is enough for me to meet the needs of my users, which are clearly demonstrated in the aforementioned statistics. This budget needs to increase. The only way that I can make that argument is users behave in a way that reflects their needs. If that means reading a lot of ebooks and requesting a lot of ebooks, go for it. Also, there are a lot of ebooks that librarians have to keep tra- keep track of, and it is so easy to miss a title. Purchase requests and borrowing habits are, are a way for those titles to make it onto our radar. The only caveat I would offer is that if your purchase request gets denied, try to be understanding. It can be really difficult to winnow the purchase list down and it Often comes down to money and demand. Keep borrowing and keep requesting. Also, I have checked out some titles 26 times. And don't feel bad about it. You shouldn't either. Because <laughs> um, this was because I was like, oh, no. I have yeah. like because certain books you can just to remind everyone. Certain books you can only check out. You know, 20 some- something times or something. And then they have to rebuy the book from the publisher. And I was like, oh no, I've checked out a book <laughs> that many times and just finally read it on the last time. So, so I felt really bad. And I appreciate you writing me back, Martha. So now I'm going to return to my, I kind of changed my habits a little. But th- thanks to Martha,
0: <laughs> honestly, seriously, such a big shout out. We get a lot of fan mail from librarians, and we are just so chuffed that there are so many librarians out there in the world that listen to the show. You guys are heroes, and it makes us really happy to know that you you like our uh, like reading glasses so you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com and as always we want to thank danielle who runs our facebook group and Chrissy and rachel who moderate our goodreads page on the facebook group they've been doing this cool day of the week thing like find my book friday Um, new releases tuesday what are you reading monday so it's a really cool way for reading glasses fans to interact with each other and hang out definitely go over there and check it out all you have to do is i mean you can look in the show notes but you just have to go to facebook and search reading glasses under groups and the first one that pops up so before we discuss book covers we're gonna Take
1: a quick break.
2: Hi, everybody. I'm your oldest brother,
1: Justin McElroy.
2: I'm your middle brother, Travis McElroy. And I'm your sweet baby brother, Griffin McElroy. Me and 3,000 of your closest friends just found your next podcast obsession. Cereal. Okay, but like the second best podcast. I'll oh, f- just listen to my brother, my brother, and me on MaximumFun.org. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you.
0: Right. This week, we're asking a big reader question. To judge or not to judge books by their covers? Are you missing out on a great book because you're being choosy about covers? Or are you making a wise assessment? What about e-readers or audiobook listeners?
1: So a little history on book covers. Until the 19th century, there weren't any book covers. Covers of books were just like They're all naked. They're just naked. <laughs> naked books. Sexy books running around <laughs> showing what the Lord gave them. The covers of b- <laughs> books. The just like Eden for books. <laughs> they're just like old dust jackets with advertisements on them. I don't know why I'm saying they're old. I, they were new. They were new at the <laughs> time. They were not old. <laughs> they're old now. But they just had what the publisher was selling that wasn't that book. And there's a few exceptions like Dickens uh, used green jackets and had illustrated characters from his novels like he was he was a fancy pants but everyone else regular boring old dust jackets with nothing fancy but in the 1920s because of an economic boom in the United States they could, more money could be put towards advertising and book co- covers became a thing people suddenly started having book covers. And artists from art school started doing more commercial art during that time and people actually hired artists to do work. So then all of of a sudden you have book covers, like designed book covers by artists, which is very exciting. But even then, just like now, book covers are mostly decided by a marketing department. A few exceptions, one notable exception, which I thought was hilarious, is J.R.R.R. Tolkien designed the cover of The Hobbit.
0: That's pretty cool. So Bria, what's your favorite book cover? Have you ever picked up a book because it had a great cover?
1: Yes. I don't have a favorite book cover ever. I really go towards the minimalist ones if I'm picking one up at a store, which it seems random for me because normally I'm like a person who's gonna read a book about like fairy tales and it's gonna have vines all covered, lettered <laughs> color, covered vines and or vine covered letters, not lettered covered vines. I would is, totally. That's see the that. kind of plant you would grow. Is I, you would
0: grow a, a vine, and every morning I would get a basket and, and, and uh, cut, harvest my letters. Cut the letters. That's that's what I want out of my life.
1: Um, But no, I I was thinking about one I've read recently. I really liked the cover of Miranda July's The First Bad Man. I like that book. I like the book and I like the cover and actually owned the physical copy of the book, you know, which is kind of rare for me. I bought that one because I love Miranda July, and I love that she does always does real simple titles on yeah. things. Yeah, it's just black, and in white letters, it says mm-hmm. The First Bad Man by I read, Miranda that's, July. That's kind of what I go for is the minimalist covers, which makes no sense considering the books that I actually end up reading. You're, what, you contain multitudes, Bria. You know,
0: I'm a complicated woman.
1: Yeah. What about you, Mallory?
0: I do have a favorite book cover, the illustrated version of Neil Gaiman's Stardust, which is my favorite book. Also... Just quick shout out to Isaac the one listener who emailed us who got the Mallory quiz right because he knew Neil Gaiman was my favorite author so good for you Isaac oh I'm, wow I, I mailed him a book you mailed him a book I mailed him what a book what book was it I'm not going to tell you in case he hasn't opened it yet I don't oh, want to well, spoil geez. it for him in case he's a Mallory I really want him to take a photo of I, it hope he, I hope he rides back but the Charles Vess is my favorite illustrator and he did the cover of it I've also totally I've picked up books because they have great covers Um, I picked up John Gardner's Grendel because it has a sweet we trade paperback cover
1: as a monster or yelling monster on the front and I love that book. Um, you want to know what book covers people are talking about? In 2017, they're saying you're some of the best covers for this year. Hell yeah. Jeff Vandermeer's Born. Oh, beautiful cover. Really beautiful cover designed by Tyler Comrie and Rodrigo Corral. Universal Harvester, I picked that. There's a very long list of books that people are talking about. I kind of picked out ones that I had read, to be honest. The Universal Harvester has a
0: really beautiful cover, though. It's really shiny.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also designed by Rodrigo Corral and Alex Murto. Murto. Exit West. Beautiful cover. Really beautiful cover designed by Rachel Wiley. Willie. Mm. Wiley Wiley <laughs> uh, Bonfire that new book by Kristen Ritter people are talking about oh, it yeah. and the cover's really beautiful Will Stahl uh, Stale Will Stale designed it and Sing Unburied Sing which I've seen a couple covers for but there's one in particular just are won the fucking about. National Book Award yeah 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 go but, Jasmine Ward yeah 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 and designed by David Mann so those are some ones that people are talking about this year but I'm sure there's a lot more these yes. are just sort of like the buzzier ones that I had actually read <laughs>
0: So we all know we're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but why? See, most authors don't actually have much control over what goes on their book covers. And this is especially true for authors who don't sell as well or their debut authors. Obviously, if Stephen King has his book cover, you can bet your ass it's going to get changed. And the hard truth is that most of the book cover budget at publishing houses goes to books that are probably going to sell really well anyway. So a book with a wonky cover might not be a bad book. Or if you're reading an older book, it might have just been the trend at the time. It took a little while for Photoshop and computer technology to look good on book covers, and let's not talk about all those horror covers
1: in the late 80s. Oh, no. Bria, what's your favorite book with a bad cover? You know, I I generally don't love art that is too, like, cartoony, and I don't love it when the main character's on the front of the book. Because the reason I'm reading a book is I want to use my imagination, and I want to picture myself as the main character. So... (laughs) I don't want somebody else who doesn't look like me.
0: <laughs> Bria on the just front of that paste, book.
1: Bria just glues photos
0: photos of herself <laughs> into every is, single, if it's single. like a seventy year
1: old like ship captain, I'm like me, me, me. That's me.
0: <laughs> Bria puts it on a beard and a pipe.
1: Yeah, I'm not. I'm I'm not going to not read a book if I don't like the cover. It doesn't really bother me that much because I'm an e reader and I don't really see covers anyway. We'll That's get to true. that in a second. Mallory, what about you? What do you, What's your favorite book with a bad cover? So
0: as, as a teenager who read a lot of fantasy books. Yes. Ooh, There's are, a lot of great fantasy ones. Oh, boy. The original cover for R.A. Salvatore's Starless Night, which is part of the Legend of Drizzt series, which I loved when I was like 14 and I read like 20 books in that series. The main character is supposed to be a sexy drow elf. And in this cover, he looks like an old man who sells chamber pots. Oh, no. It's really, really terrible. He's all like... It looks like his face is made out of putty or something, but I still love the book. I still will total again. I'm like you. I'll still totally read the book if the cover's bad, even if I,
1: even though I'm a physical reader. Of like elf occupations, how many? How what percentage do you think their job is just selling chamber pots? You know what? Elves have to poop too. I yeah, feel so like. Yeah. So do you think it's a large percentage of the elf population is having to sell chamber pots? <laughs> Probably not. It depends on yeah, how so big same, your town same is. Same as the people who sell toilets in the human population. Yeah, I feel like. I don't know. I just don't know how many elf occupations there are. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there's like Archer, Wizard. Great. uh, Like Wish Granter. I'm thinking uh, horse of Horse Rider. Kinds of, great, 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 great. Flower Smeller. Val- great one. Good one. <laughs> Good one. Oh, one that has to make little costumes, little, hat, little outfits. Wait, are we talking like Lord of the Rings elves? Or well, like there's just so cool. many kinds of elves. I know. I was thinking more of like. Keebler. I was actually thinking, like, David the Gnome, which is a gnome, not an elf. Oh, man. Don't <laughs> let the gnomes know that you're confusing them. <laughs> okay. So I looked up weird book covers, and I was going to talk about them. This is not a good discussion for a podcast. Terrible discussion for a podcast. I started writing them out, and I was like, this is boring. This is terribly boring. Although there is one that I just want everyone to go Google when you get a chance called, Now That I'm a Ghost, I'm Gay. But that's a whole—that's more of a title. But honestly, the cover is just incredible. But so I had book cover trends for this year. Do you want to hear those? Yes. Minimalist fonts, something I enjoy. Retro designs. Ladies with no faces. Like a very, like, you know, like, because you know this thing with, with, like, the girl on the th- something. The girl with the thing. The girl with the whatever. And then it's, like, a lady with no face, but, like, uh, words where her face would be. Like, that's a book cover I w- trend. I want
0: words where my face is. You already
1: have words where your face would be. <laughs> hands that need manicures. These, like, YA books. And it's, like, somebody's hands and like, they've got chipped nail polish. Like, that's Like, oh, it's so tough. Yeah. And That's then, me. I could be a hand model for one. <laughs> you really could. Next job. And then in the fantasy world, someone riding some sort of beast. This is all the things that I want. This, this is a great is, year This is for a me. very popular book cover to be like on top of a dragon, on top of some sort of wildebeest, <laughs> on top of some sort of like... <laughs> the wildebeest South rider Horror. by Bria
0: Grant. <laughs> So, remember, sometimes when the paperback version of a book gets released, it'll get a new cover. So, if you're book collecting and you don't like the hardcover, just wait for the trade paperback. Oh. Um, House Frau by Jill Alexander S. Baum is a great example. The hardcover is like all these, like, classy flowers. It looks kind of like fancy wallpaper. Yeah. And the paperback is unbuttoned cleavage.
1: What do you do if the paperback has come out and you only have can get that one? You go online, you try to buy, like, a one of well, you can of the still old buy the hardcover on, if you order it online, or you can just special order it. And they don't the, change the hardcover? No. To no. match the paperback. No, no. there'll so be two can... different ones. Yes. Who so makes that decision where they're like, Publishers. you know what? this book didn't sell enough. Let's put some cleavage on it. Yeah,
0: that's quite literally the conversation mm. that happened, yeah. probably. So, Bria, as an e-reader, how much do book covers
1: factor into your reading life? They don't.
2: Well, actually, that's <laughs> not true.
1: They do. They do. I'm. Um, I mean... The problem with being an e-reader sometimes you actually are reading a book and you forget who wrote it and what the name of it is because I'll be like mid book and I'm like what am I reading because I don't see it. I yeah. open up my e-reader and it's already open to the page I was reading. Oh, on. interesting. Yeah. So I don't, I'm not clicking on a book every single time. And if you're you know reading a hard a hard book, which is just what I call real life book? Hard books. A-, a hard book. <laughs> <laughs> the old hard book. The, the old ye old hard book. <laughs> if you're reading a, um, a physical book, then. You know, you're opening it every time, so you're seeing the cover. Yeah. I don't think about that. I do think about it when I'm getting them from the library, though, because I do pick out my books ahead of time. It's not like they but just right there. But it's really small on the little screen. You know, it's not, though. It's like, you know, it's an inch or two high, so I do see see it, but it really probably doesn't affect me as much as the average reader. Mm. So what about you? Yeah, when I'm book shopping and I shop
0: at used bookstores pretty often, this definitely affects me. Book confession time, guys. I definitely pick the cover I like the most when I have a choice. Sometimes I'll check to see if the British cover is better and get that one if, instead if I really don't like a cover. Oh. Um, and if, if I'm browsing and I know something about the book or it got recommended to me, the cover won't matter as much because it's not like drawing me in like what the, what the book, like the title, what I, the fact that I know something about it is what's drawing me in. Right. But even if a book has a bad cover, I'll still read the back and read the first page in a bookstore to f- see if I like it. But I'm, I think every, you guys are all fucking liars if you don't. See a book cover that you really love and pick a book. now
1: laying down and telling, calling the whole down. audience liars because everyone just tuned out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so let's admit we all we know all this stuff, but we still judge book covers. If you're a physical book reader and you collect books, it's hard not to gravitate towards covers that you think look nice. Especially you know if you're in a used bookstore and you have your pick of several different versions. But remember that the part of the book that an author controls is the words. So if you hate a book cover, try reading the first page. Get it. Get the audiobook. Get an ebook. If you don't really don't like a cover. Remember that it's the, – that's the part of the book that the author got the least control out of. Yeah. So, you know, if the if the title sounds cool, if you've heard something about it, give keep giving it a shot. So send your thoughts on book covers to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, before we talk to creative director Lauren Pinto over at Orbit Books, we're going to take a quick break.
2: Hey, you with the headphones. Just between you and me, the MaxFun store just got some of that sweet, sweet new merchant stock. You know, that merch from your favorite MaxFun shows? Could be posters, tote bags, shirts, stickers, patches, aprons. We got it all. Well, we got a lot. Point is, there's some new stuff. Go to MaxFunStore.com.
0: Now we are here with Lauren Panapinto, creative director of Orbit Books and one of my best friends. Lauren, thank you
2: so much for coming on the show. (laughs) I know. I'm definitely guest nepotism.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, but you also are the creative director for one of the biggest... Hi-fi fantasy publishers in the
2: country it's true it's true i i appreciate it but i still feel a little guilty being like i just get to talk to i talk to mallory all the time and now i'm just going to talk to her and it's going to be recorded which means <laughs> instead of 75 percent f-bomb it'll just be like 25 percent f-bomb <laughs> <laughs> so
0: lauren what are you reading right now
2: um i am reading a book called flow by a gentleman whose name I cannot pronounce. Uh, yeah, Mahali Sizikzent Mahali. Anyway, he's got a TED Talk. If you just Google Flow and TED, um, it's all about. Uh, I read a lot of. I do a lot of uh, artist community outreach and helping artists uh, with their careers and stuff because I feel like a really big part of being an art director is um, kind of mentoring artists and uh, just building a stronger community, like a bigger, a better. Community of artists makes for better. It makes my job easier. So, uh, so I'm big into that. So anyway, so this book is about, uh, the state of flow and what he, what he calls flow is like that wonderful kind of state of if you're writing or making art or reading, whatever it is that you're, you're concentrated on, um, like this active brain concentration uh, state where like you lose sense of time you get all this work done and you're super productive and you feel really great and energized. Um, that's flow quote unquote. And that's what he says is the secret to happiness, which I think is kind of true because like all the creatives I know we work ourselves into the goddamn ground, taking on extra projects and side hustles and doing all this stuff of our own free will. And it makes no sense because all we're doing is, is exhausting ourselves doing work, but it makes us happy.
0: so can you tell us a little bit about orbit books
2: yeah um orbit books is like you said a science fiction and fantasy publisher and it's existed in the uk for about mm, a little more than 30 years i forget exactly and uh it's only been in the u.s for 10 years um i don't know how much you guys have talked about publishing big publishing on the on the podcast yet but you know, there's really only five publishers, and if we wait ten minutes, Random House will buy another one, and it'll only be four publishers. <laughs> um, so the, you know, it used to be the big six, quote unquote, and now it's the big five. Um, and uh, so I work for Hachette Books, which is one of the big five, and Hachette didn't have a sci-fi fantasy publisher, and uh, or division, and uh, Little Brown is part of Hachette, and it was part, and Orbit is part, was part of Little Brown in the UK, so they kind of like imported. My publisher, Tim Holman, came over 10 years ago to start a U.S. branch of Orbit. So I'm the creative director, which means that uh, I'm not only, you know, figuring out what books are going to look like. I'm in charge of making sure that a book is the way I like to describe it is it's not enough that a book looks good. It's not enough that a book is well designed. It has to look like an Orbit book. And we kind of have all those. You know, we we internally know what that feels like or looks like most days. Sometimes we're just feeling our way towards it. But, you know, um, so I'm in charge of kind of steering the visual ship and making sure that everything from the book covers to our artist sites to ads we do to branding to everything all looks cohesive and kind of makes sense in the Orbit umbrella. So so
1: this episode is actually all about book covers. Can you tell us about – how you go about creating a book cover, how that whole process works?
2: Sure. Um, how it usually starts is every once in a while, I hear about books before we buy them because the editors will start you know, asking me what, what I think about certain books that we're considering acquiring. But usually my job starts once a book has been acquired already, and then it's been put into the calendar somewhere in the season. And then the editor's and the editor and publisher will get together and they'll create, I've made a document called a, a, a cover brief and most art departments, most book cover art departments have a cover brief form. And it kind of helps the editor put down um, a little summary about what the book is about um, some comp titles, like what, what this book is like, you know, if it's an author, you know, we haven't read the manuscript yet. A lot of times there's there, a lot of times there isn't a manuscript. It's just a pitch. Um, so as much as, as much as we, can get out of the editors about what the target audience is, what the reading experience is like, what the tone is like, maybe, you know, is this more like a Neil Gaiman or is this more like, you know, a George R. R. Martin or, you know, whatever. Um, And we, we sit down in, I have a cover meeting every week and different stages of covers will be brought into those meetings. So, you know, we could get a couple of cover briefs. Well, you know, for some other books, we'll have thumbnails and artist sketches in. And for some books, we're just finalizing type and things like that. Um, So these cover meetings every week is kind of where we chat about that stuff. So an editor will bring that uh, document filled out into the cover meeting and we'll all kind of look at it and pull up the cover comps and, and talk about it. And I'm kind of running things on my computer on the big screen so we can all kind of like brainstorm and just talking about like what the goals are. You know, target audience has a a huge um is a huge uh deciding factor on like whether we're gonna do an illustration or a design like a type design or a photo shoot or something like that. So I kind of it's my job to really keep on top of trends um in those kind of subgenres and fan bases and things. And then we talk about, you know, is this book like who's the target? Is it a unisex target? Is it more guys? Is it more girls? Um is it, you know, young people, is it older people? Um you know, is it people that play Dungeons and Dragons? Is it people that only read Game of Thrones and aren't geeks? Is it everybody? You know, like we really have those granular conversations. And then I kind of take that away and sit on it and think about it. And I have two designers that work with me. So between the three of us either, you know, I'm kind of deciding generally. So that's my creative director side. And then I become an art director and, says, okay, and I say, okay, for this one book, you know, would it be better to design it in-house because it should be like a type cover or not or should we hire an illustrator or not or something like that. And then once I decide that then I'll break up the cover. Either I'll be in charge of it or Lisa my design senior designer will be in charge of it or Crystal, my designer will be in charge of it. And we'll start you know, if there's a freelancer, we'll start talking to the illustrator and, and pitch illustrator ideas to to the editors and then, you know, send them to the author, make sure he likes the illustrator, things like that. She likes the illustrator. Um, And, uh, and little by little then, you know, we'll hire the illustrator or we'll just start designing in house and we just start showing stages of a cover until it just feels right. You know, um, the hardest part of my job is you never know how long, how, how much work it's going to take to get to a cover. Sometimes, you know, the first, the first round of, of ideas you have, there's a winner in it and you just kind of polish it up and it's done. And it could happen in two weeks. And sometimes there are covers that take, there, I think my record is like a year and a half to do one oh, cover because wow. it just, you know, and you're not constantly working on it all the time, but I must have gotten up to like 75 or 80 different cover designs, like distinct different cover designs until we really hit what, you know, I mean, the publisher is God, what he wants at the end of the day, you know, like we can all, we can all have different opinions, but he's, he's always, a, you need somebody to, to, to be the boss, to be the deciding factor. So, um. I just keep designing stuff until he's happy. <laughs> wow.
0: So, did did ebooks sort of change the way book covers are designed?
2: Um, yes and no. It, it wasn't ebooks that changed cover design so much as the fact that people bought things on websites a lot more frequently. Um, so to me, it doesn't really affect my design whether it's an e-only or a print and e or something like that. What what it really affected what really affected design was the fact that most people are seeing book covers as that also available strip on Amazon, not in a physical store. You know, like there are, there are lots of people that go to physical stores and browse and that's, and catching somebody's eye in a sea of books that are life size is totally different than catching their eye in a quarter of an inch high thumbnail. So, you know, contrast and, and silhouette and things that really work very, very small. Um, really became very important. And in cover meetings, I don't even, we don't even print out things anymore. We just look at them on screen. So we can zoom out and zoom in. We have like big screens in our conference rooms um, and people can dial in and look on their computer. And we're always looking at stuff at thumbnail size to make sure that, you know, like, the type doesn't read, like things don't read, like you can't look at a teeny tiny cover, but if, you know, and know exactly what's going on, but there are shapes that are more interesting to the eye. I don't know. I call them sticky. So like, if you're looking at a, a whole page of cover thumbnails, there are some that'll, that'll stick out to you and knowing which ones stick out and why and replicating that is really, really important now. Whereas before everybody was buying their books on Amazon and, uh, and Barnes and Noble and things, it, it wasn't as important because you had the the entire life-size book selling itself. And now you only have a teeny little bit of a book.
1: So what about you personally? Is there something that makes you uh, judge a book by its cover and pick it up? (laughs) Is it something that draws you in?
2: You know, all book designers hate that saying because literally, of course, everybody judges a book by its cover. That's (laughs) the worst saying of all time. You're supposed to judge a book by its cover. That's the point. Um, Anyway, sorry. Um, (laughs) Well, working in publishing for – 15 years has totally destroyed my ability to walk into a bookstore and not be in like work brain. Yeah. So I, I walk into like the main room of a Barnes and Noble and I know by name, just by looking at the covers, 50% of the people that designed the book, because it's so obvious to me, even if I had never seen the book cover before, I can be like, Oh, that's that person. And Oh, that's that person's design. And Oh, that's that person's design. So I it, like, you, it's hard to, to, to not see that anymore. But, I mean, I'm a designer, so really gorgeous type treatments make me jealous. You know, like when you see a book cover and you're like, oh, God, I wish I did that. That's so fucking clever. Um, <laughs> you know, that that kind of stuff catches my eye. And then also I'm just a big sci-fi fantasy fan. So the things that work on my fan base work on me, you know. So uh, I tend to like really like nerdy super philosophical sci-fi stuff. So, you know, like Dune and, you know, like that's why I'm good at covers like, you know, like Nora Jemison. I designed her covers and I pretty much just, I love those books so much. I pretty much just designed what I would have wanted to read, you know, like what, what I would have wanted to pick up. So, um, I don't know that, that, uh, it's hard to really, it's, it's hard to say one thing. I think I, I will say one thing I, I, shy away from is I really like things to either look like a really great photograph if it's going to be a photograph or a really great illustration if it's going to be an illustration cover Um, but I don't like that uncanny valley in between where you're kind of it's kind of like maybe a photograph or maybe an illustration and it's just kind of I don't know it's like Princess Leia at the end of Rogue One you're like ah something's wrong and I don't know what's wrong ah so like I don't I don't like that CGI look yeah
1: I'm with you on that so Laura.
0: I, yeah. i'm very biased when i ask this question because uh, you give me books all the time but what, <laughs> what book do you like to gift to people the
2: most oh my god my head just exploded <laughs> <laughs> um well if there if people are sci-fi fans there are definitely um there are definitely books that i love from my own house that i will force upon people um especially if they're if they think they're not sci-fi fantasy readers but i know that they would love this like particular book i'm like you're my friend you owe it to me to read this book and and i'm very rarely wrong but it's not necessarily one book i think i'm good at matching the book to the person maybe you know i don't i mean you're not going to you're not going to get me to, to verbally play favorites in orbit cuz i'll get fired uh-huh. <laughs> um,
1: do you have any books coming out soon that you want to, that that you designed that you're proud of that you want
2: to unplug oh sure um we just did uh this book uh mir grant is one of uh one of my favorite orbit authors uh she's also shauna mcguire she works uh she writes other series under her given name, Shauna McGuire, but we publish her under the name Mira Grant, and we just did uh, a standalone from her, and it's all about it's this really amazingly creepy, scary take on mermaids that I think is super original and amazing, and uh, it's called Into the Drowning Deep, and I really, it's hard to it's hard to design covers for Mira Grant books because I love them so much, it makes it twice as hard, um, and this one especially because I love mermaids and. I have a lot of people joke that I have mermaid hair and, yeah, true. and, and Mallory and I are, you know, we, we have a friend group that like jokingly refers to each other as mermaids. So to have an author that I really want to do a good cover for the book, and then to also have it be a mermaid book, I just, my head almost exploded. I almost had to give it to another one of my designers because the pressure was almost too great, but I think ah. it came out. I think it came out good. I really like that one. So, it's a beautiful cover. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and then, uh, well, uh, Nora Jemison's third book in her series, uh, the first one was the, the fifth season. The second one was Obeliskate, and the third one was the stone, stone sky. And the third one just came out, I think last month. And those books are, are, are so amazing. And we're just so proud of her as a, as a publishing house. Um, we, we published her from, from her debut and she just won the Hugo award two years in a row. And, and that's like fucking unheard of and to be a woman and to be an african-american woman and we're just so we're we're so thrilled and proud and i i really like what we did for those covers as well so i started off the first one and then um wendy chan who used to work with orbit and has moved on since then uh she actually designed the third book so um i just think they're i think they're great so yay so lauren where can we find you online (laughs) um well, I'm in the process of rebuilding my own personal website. I took it down maybe like six or seven years ago because I'm so busy with Orbit. I, it used to be a freelance website, but I can't take freelance because I'm just way too busy with Orbit. But So I'm in the middle of putting that back up, which is more of my writing and things. But um, in the meantime, you can find uh, – I have some hand in, in – in the look of almost everything that Orbit publishes. So orbitbooks.net is the website for that. And then I also write a column about uh for for illustrators and artists at the blog muddycolors.com. And then uh I also work with a group of art directors that uh helps educate artists about things from the art director's point of view at drawnandrafted.com. Yay. Amazing. Well thank you for going on the show. Thanks. Thanks guys. It was great to be here.
0: Now we're going to solve a bookish problem from one of our listeners. Tom asks, what are things in a book that take you out of your immersion? For me, it's usually typos, bad grammar, or, and this is mostly mostly a case in English books, use of bad German. And sometimes there is bad science in a story that will ruin any fun that I normally have. My cousin would always highlight typos with a marker, then she would send the book back to the publisher and ask for a refund because the mistakes ruin the book. I think that may be a bit too drastic, but hey, free books, I guess. Wowie. It sounds like your cousin needs a hobby <laughs> or a job as a copy editor. I bet she's real fun at parties. Uh, I think everybody's nerdy about something. Uh, like I went to school for animal science and I get nitpicky about animal facts and behavior in books. Like when a nocturnal animal is like out during the day on a book, it bothers me. But both with animal facts <laughs> and glaring typos and grammar issues, I kind of learned to take a moment and remember like the people who created this book are all human. Humans make mistakes and just let it roll off of me. Years of doing that took my my ugh moments that would take me out of the story and turn them into just little road bumps, and now I can get back to reading in a couple
1: of seconds. What do you what do you think about this, Bria? Yeah, not a lot of things like this really bother me. I mean, I I I always feel like finding a typo is kind of like finding a Where's Waldo, you know, in the yeah. book, or maybe like this is a book fairy got its wings or something like that. It's just it's not that the book I, it doesn't just ruin the book moment for me. It's just like oh look what I found that someone else did because think about all the people who didn't catch that typo. I know the author. The editor, the writer, friends who had to read the book. I don't know. Probably your cousin saw it, and sent it back, and they still haven't changed it. Who knows? It's just kind of like an Easter egg for me. Other than that, I, I would say sometimes if there's like something that I'm like the character, I don't feel like is super believable that they would do. Like I'm like, why would she go into the basement? Don't go in the bed, you know, like that yeah. kind of thing. But I think. Generally, I'm probably on board if I'm reading the book and I'm still sticking with it. I'm on board with whatever the character decisions are being made anyway. So these don't it doesn't really take me out of it. I think it's more of a um, ooh, look what I found. Like I feel like I'm in some elite club of very great readers who catch a typo. Yeah,
0: okay. the, your cousin should be highlighting those typos and saving them.
1: Yeah, there you go, and saving them and making a collection of typos throughout history. That's kind of cool. That might be a good book to read. I would I would actually read that Typos throughout history that would be cool. so boring
0: yeah it would be terrible that's a terrible idea so if you want us to solve your reader problems or answer your bookish questions you can send them to reading glasses podcast all one word at gmail.com and if you like the show please rate and review us on iTunes it's really great for us it helps us meet more, reach more readers it makes me really happy and I and I text Bria and tell her about it uh, reading glasses is also pleased to offer interactive transcripts of the show through Greta go to gretta.com read Reading underscore glasses to read and turn your favorite reading glasses moments into clips that you can share out on social media. You can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com, find us on Twitter at readinggpodcast and you can always follow along on our boatship adventures using the general hashtag reading glasses. Thanks for listening and, and thanks, thanks for,
1: reading.
2: for reading. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist-owned. Listener
0: supported.